Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast shortly before Thanksgiving. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan! Yeah. The other night I went to a local Baltimore establishment restaurant. Flex. And, is that a flex? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. And uh, we ordered drinks and food at the same time. Sure. F- drinks, of course, come first. I ordered a Coke. The waitress brings me two Cokes. The other person ordered a beer. Two beers were brought. Uh, we were shocked. I mean, smaller than usual, perhaps, I guess you could so say. So were they the, each half portioned? Not half portioned. I'd say like at least two thirds or three quarter portion. Okay. But two of each. And we were very confused. And we stopped the waitress and asked what was going on. And she said, oh, everything here comes in pairs. And I said, everything? That doesn't seem like a good business model. I said, I just ordered a barbecue chicken pizza. I hope I didn't order two barbecue chicken pizzas. Well, did you get two pizzas? I got one. Well, that's good. It was fortunate. But yeah, it doesn't seem like a, a good, seems wasteful, frankly. Was it more expensive than usual? No. I, 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 I And I, again, if it were a half portion, I'd be like, okay, that's kind of cute, I guess. It's like a also wasteful because you're wasting glasses, I guess. Right. But it was like, I couldn't drink, you know, if I were to drink both Cokes, it would be like I was drinking a Coke and a quarter. Or a Coke and a third. That's a lot of Coke. That's too much Coke. I didn't want yeah. that much caffeine late in the day. Yeah, you'd prefer the baby size of it, much like your baby roller coasters. Much like my baby roller coasters. That was a little callback to I a like previous episode. Calling, yeah, and if, you'll have to go back and listen to our previous Mass and All Access podcast episode to get that joke. And you can watch our Mass and All Access podcast every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on Facebook and on YouTube. Or listen to it after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud. Give us five stars. Give us a thumbs up. All that good stuff. Brendan! We have much to discuss here on this podcast. Many much. We have been teasing this one for quite a while, and it is the Adley Rutschman extension conversation. I thought months ago we were going to be having this conversation solely about Adley. I think Gunnar Henderson has worked his way into this conversation. We're going to spend almost as much time talking about Gunnar as we will be Adley. But first off, let's look back at our free agency bracket. No major updates. However, Brendan, if we could go back and make a change, knowing what we know now, I think we would both swap Jock Peterson out for Cody Bellinger. Yeah, because they are a very similar player. I mean, Jock Mm -hmm. Peterson had a much better season last year in 2022. Cody Bellinger, of course, had the MVP season in 2019, dropped off a bit in 2021 and 2022. So I think they'd get different amounts of money in free agency. I think Cody Bellinger would probably be cheaper which would make him an even better candidate to be the number one seed in our big bat side of the bracket. Yeah, if you haven't listened to our bracket, go back and listen to that from a couple weeks ago as well. But we did have Jack Peterson advancing to the finals, losing to Jamison Tyone. Peterson, of course, accepted his qualifying offer from the San Francisco Giants. And Cody Bellinger has become the new prize of free agency, at least of the non-tender guys. Because several guys got non-tendered uh, after Friday's dare, right before Friday's deadline. And the Dodgers, seeing the amount that Cody Bellinger was going to get, most likely in arbitration, decided to move on. And it's a guy who was a two-time All-Star, former MVP in 2019 in the National League. He was projected to make $18 million in arbitration via MLB trade rumors. And that's just too much for a guy who last year hit just 210, a 654 OPS. He did bring 1.5 war, according to baseball reference, but not worth $18 million. And even at 27 years old, I don't blame the Dodgers for walking away at that price point. Yeah, the 650 OPS was actually an improvement from his 2021 yeah. season. That's just how bad he was after that MVP year in 2019. And I think the potential is still there, but I think the frustrating part with Cody Bellinger is that he's probably never going to get back to that MVP form, but you'd just like him to find at least a little bit of a happy medium. Yeah, I mean, the regression from the crazy season he had when he won MVP was expected, but he fell off. 
And if you can find a hitter somewhere in there that has around an 800 OPS, he's still very good defensively in center field, as you mentioned. He'd still be a really good player. He just, there's no middle ground for Cody Bellinger right now. Yeah, it doesn't even need to be 800. I think if he's bringing 750, 750 yeah, yeah. something, that would be a 100 point improvement, though. And after the 2019 season, he did follow it up with a good 2020 year. In the shortened 60-game season, he had 1.5 war in just those 60 games. Uh, but then he got hurt. Remember, in Game 7 of the NLCS, he was doing the Bash Bros celebration and hurt his right shoulder, ended up having surgery that offseason, and has really never been the same player since. Now, his his low, like you said, Brendan, was 2021. Brought negative 1.5 war, which is pretty awful. That is a bad player who is hurting your lineup offensively and then had a bounce back year, so to speak. But if his shoulder isn't right, if it's still causing him problems, and if he's still hitting for that low of an average, that much of a swing and miss guy, it's not going to make up for the fact that he, yes, had 19 homers and 14 stolen bases and plays good defense in, in center field. He has to be a more consistent hitter. Yeah, he's very similar in my mind to how I view Joey Gallo in free agency, where if he's in the right situation, you know the kind of player he can be. Yeah. And it's not like we're talking about an Andrew McCutcheon type of player who was a former MVP caliber guy, but now he's in his mid to late 30s. So there's no reason to believe that Andrew McCutcheon is ever going to get close to the form that he was at in his mid 20s. Yeah. That's just how age works. But Cody Bellinger and Joey Gallo, they're still in their later 20s. There is still a lot of reason to believe that with the right coaching and the right situation, they can maybe not get back to the type of player that they were previously, but at least somewhere close to that. And so I think when you're looking at Cody Bellinger, not that he is a massive prize in free agency, but I think he's a great buy-low candidate. Yes. Because if the Orioles can figure something out with his swing, then maybe he can get back to that at least a 750, 800 OPS. He has the power, and he's great defensively. Even if he's not playing a lot of center field with Cedric Mullins holding down that spot, he would be great in either left field or right field. He has a cannon of an arm. He's really athletic. And he's a first baseman. He could play backup first base as well, a left-handed bat to complement Ryan Mountcastle's right-handed swing. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. So that's where it comes into play of where he fits with the Orioles. Should the Orioles be interested in this guy? You mentioned all the positions he can play. That's great, but he won't be able to platoon with Mullins. And we saw Mullins last year struggle against lefties, hitting from the left side of the plate. Bellinger has lefty-righty splits like any other lefty, so he is going to struggle against left-handed hitters. I think if you were looking for a backup center fielder, so to speak, you'd almost want a righty. You do have Colton Cowser waiting in the wings. Would Cody Bellinger want to come to a city where he knows he doesn't necessarily have an everyday spot? Would you have to guarantee him starting in right field in Santander DHing? Well, I think he'd be close to an everyday spot. I don't think he'd play every single day but I think if Cody Bellinger signs, he's probably close to your everyday DH. Or even if he's not your DH, I'd honestly rather put him in right field, have Anthony Santander be your everyday DH, and have Cody Bellinger be your starting right fielder. Well, the thing with the DH is I think that most of his value right now comes from his defense. Yeah, so I'd start him in right field and DH right. Anthony Santander. Yeah, so he, because that 1.5 war is because he played good defense in center, not right. because he had a 650 OPS. So it does, to me, it doesn't really make sense to have him as your DH because he's a below-average hitter right now at this point in his career. So you would have to put him in right. And then is, are you playing? you're definitely playing him over Kyle Stowers. Yep. You're probably going to have to wait for Colton Kowser a little bit. Colton Kowser is going to have to wait in AAA, most likely. And I know he can play backup first base, and, and that helps, but... I don't know if he's going to want to come here. If he signs a one-year deal and his agent, Scott Boris, said uh, most likely he will be looking for a one-year deal because of his age, would he prefer to sign somewhere where he knows he's going to play in center field every day so he can bump that war up, he can prove that he's a valuable player, or would he be okay with playing right field where he's not as important on defense every single game and then is hitting free agency again in a year? Well, 
that's hard to say because I know his value is going to get boosted if he's playing center field, but maybe he just plays an absolutely elite right field <laughs> and gets as much value there sure. as he would playing a very good center field. Yeah. I mean, Mookie Betts plays an elite right field and gets a ton of war from that because he's just unbelievable he's at the position, even if the positional value isn't incredibly high. Well, maybe the Dodgers move Mookie back to center if Bellinger leaves. Could be. <laughs> yeah. But I think Bellinger would play pretty close to every day. I think if it were me, I'd start him in right field Mm -hmm. with Anthony Santander at DH. You could platoon him in left with Austin Hayes if you needed to. If Cedric Mullins needs an off day, you could pretty easily shift Bellinger into playing center field defensively. You could DH him. He could be your backup first baseman for Ryan Mountcastle. I think even if he doesn't have a permanent spot, he plays pretty much every day. The other concern I have here to play devil's advocate is you talked about him being a buy low candidate. I think every fan base, every team right now is looking at him as a buy low candidate, in which case he's not going to be bought very low. He's a buy low candidate, but it might be like 10 million. uh, Yeah, I think that there are too many teams that are interested to the point where the value will be driven up. It's like what we saw with Noah Syndergaard, how he signed a massive one year deal. And people were saying this is a buy low candidate because he's coming off so much missed time. But so many teams were intrigued that they ended up giving the angels gave him pretty massive amount for just the one year. So I think so many teams right now, just literally, I think after the news came out that he was uh, going to be non-tendered, every team's fan base jumped in the replies comment section of would be a good fit with this team because he is a theoretical fit and he's a well-known name. So I have a sense that he's going to cost probably a little bit more than he might be worth. Honestly, I think that's possible, but I'll also say that I think Baltimore falls into a nice category of being close enough to contention where you're still competitive, but also not quite in the upper echelon where Cody Bellinger probably plays for you every day. I don't know if a top contending team is going to want to give Cody Bellinger a starting job. Right. And I think Cody Bellinger will still probably want to go somewhere where he can win because he's used to that in L.A., And I think the Orioles are close enough to that where he would be intrigued, but not so far there that they wouldn't be comfortable starting him. The idea of Cody Bellinger golfing balls onto Utah Street is very enticing. Yes. I mean, his left-handed, it is a golf swing. It is such a low swing. That left-handed swing would play so perfectly at Camden Yards with the flag court. But is he going to cost a little bit too much? I still, I'm... Definitely intrigued if I'm Michael Elias. I'm picking up the phone and just seeing exactly how much he's going to cost. Yeah, and if it's a one-year deal, that's not a massive contract. Yeah. And one year could be a nice buffer to Colton Kowser if he ends up taking that spot in a year or two. Or Kyle Stowers. Or Kyle Stowers. If he develops into what they think he can. All right, other non-tender candidates, not too many super intriguing names. You're never going to see, almost never going to see pitchers non-tendered. You do occasionally, but teams try to keep their pitchers in-house. It's a lot of first baseman DH types that end up getting non-tender because they're not hitting well enough. But that's kind of what the Orioles might be looking for. Rockabaco also uh, reporting on MassInSports.com a few days ago that early buzz is the Orioles have been interested in the corner outfield first base DH type the big bat region of our free agency bracket. We've explained why it makes a lot of sense, and there are a couple guys out here that I think it makes sense for. Three names I want to throw at you, Brendan. Franchi Cordero with Boston, Luke Voigt with the Padres and with the Nationals, and then Dom Smith with the Mets. Yeah, Franchi Cordero is just older than you think he is because you just keep waiting for him to to develop. He's like Bruno Caboclo, two years away from being two years away. Yeah, and then he just hasn't really developed never really found the bat in Boston after coming over in that Andrew Benintendi trade I mean he is a decent option considering he is a left-handed hitting backup first base corner outfield type of player but he just doesn't really hit well enough to be a solid everyday option so I think if you're signing Cordero it's pretty much exclusively as a backup. I wouldn't really want him to be the designated hitter I'd probably rather see Kyle Stowers in that spot than Cordero yeah and I think he probably takes maybe 1 million, 1.5 million. He was projected to make 1.5 in arbitration. Maybe he takes a minor league deal. I mean, he still has a career negative war. So he is not as good as his name, kind of the weight of his name carries. 
I don't know if he'd take a minor league deal, but I could see him getting like a million, a million and a half. Right. Very small for one year. But it might tell you what the league thinks about him if the Red Sox aren't even willing to give him a million and a half in arbitration. Exactly. After they were the team that traded for him. Right. Uh, Luke Voigt, I think, is the most intriguing of these three names. Remember this guy from in 2020, shortened season? Wasn't he the AL home run champ? He was. In 2020. And he did hit 22 homers between the Padres and the uh, Nats last year. He was the replacement piece for Eric Hosmer in that trade. Remember, it's with the Josh Bell um, Juan Soto trade, and Hosmer was the original guy in there. Hosmer decided not to go to D.C. They put Luke Voigt in there. He was projected to make $8.2 million in arbitration. He hit just 226 last year, but 710 OPS in 135 games. Intriguing because he plays first base, because he can DH. There are just a lot of question marks with Luke Voigt. Yeah, and I just don't know if he really makes sense in Baltimore. I mean, $8 million was just a little bit too much for Luke Voigt. He's still a good player. I think he'll probably get 6 or 7 on the open market. I don't think he'll get that much less than 8.2. The issue with Luke Voigt is that he is not very good defensively, yep. so he is pretty much exclusively your designated hitter. And if you're the Orioles playing in Camden Yards with the now left field where it is, do you really want a right-handed hitter to play DH? Because the right-handed hitter just might not give you a ton of power numbers. In yeah. spite of how good Luke Voigt is, he did have 22 homers a season ago. Do you want him in Baltimore hitting 20, 25 homers when you could get a left-handed hitter who could hit 30 just yeah. because of how the park is built? Yeah, and he plays a poor defensive first base. I mean, he can't play the outfield. No. So you cannot put him in the outfield. He is a DH and maybe a backup first baseman occasionally. Ideally, if you're spending a few million dollars on a bat, the hope is he can play at least a corner outfield when you need him to. And Luke Voigt is not that guy. But he may offer more at the plate than some of the other options out there because 22 homers is nice. Yeah, he's fun and intriguing. I just don't know if he fits. Right. Uh, Dominic Smith, another guy whose name probably carries a little bit more cachet than his production, did not homer last year in 58 games, hit below the Mendoza line, 560 OPS. He's had negative war in four of his six seasons, was projected to make four mil in arbitration with the Mets. Just hasn't been a very good player as of late. I know he can play a corner outfield if you need him to, but he just doesn't bring enough offensively to the point where I would be interested in him. See, I actually kind of disagree. I'm, really? I'm intrigued by Dom Smith. Really? It's kind of a worse Cody Bellinger because Cody Bellinger's peak a few years ago was much, much higher than Dom Smith's was. Yeah. But Dom Smith had back-to-back -back really good years. One year with an OPS over 900. I'm not saying he's going to get back to that, but he is still a little bit younger, and there is a possibility that if you find something in, in his swing you figure something out with him that he could get, again, close to the production that you found a few years ago. I don't think he's going to cost nearly as much money as Cody Bellinger. Certainly he won't. fits the role that you need as a backup first baseman who can play corner outfield. He's a lefty. I think it would make sense as a very buy-low candidate. And it's also a nice alternative to Cody Bellinger where you wouldn't have to play Dom Smith every day. I think given the amount of money that he would cost, you could probably play him... 75, 80 games out of the year. So you're not committing a ton of money to him. You're not saying, hey, you're going to come in and be the everyday DH. He might just be your backup first baseman with an occasional DH, an occasional corner outfield. So you're not committing a ton. Yeah, but I just is he going to ever be as good as he was in those two years? He might not, but you're not risking much. So that's the question, I think, is how much would you risk? I mean, were you giving him a guaranteed deal? Or are you giving him minor, a minor league deal? If I would give him a one-year, $2 million deal. Really? Two or three million? Yeah. Not my money. That That's not a big risk, in my opinion, to give somebody a two- or three-year deal, one year, just a little prove-it deal. Yeah. I think it would make sense. Entering his age 28 season, so like you said, there there is some theoretical upside there. But, yeah, some concerns. He has had some injury concerns, as has Bellinger. And if he turns out to not play well, you spent $2 million on him. Right. Well, some more intriguing names hitting the market. Yeah. And we will see where all these guys end up. All right, Brendan, let's get into our main conversation here. That is Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson. And when you start talking about extensions for guys who are this age and this early in their careers, I want to look at a couple examples. 
to get an idea of how common it is and what it typically takes to get a guy extended. And the Atlanta Braves have become the poster child for this. They have gone out and extended just about every young player that they possibly can. They have their young core together for the next seven years. They started by having Ozzy Albies extended seven years, $35 million. Crazy. They, they had Ronald Acuna Jr. extended eight years, $100 million. They just had Michael Harris II extended eight years, $72 million. When you see those kind of numbers, which are low for the player that you're getting, I think it's important to keep in mind that they are paying for their pre-arbitration, their arbitration years. So they are overpaying these guys for the first five or six years of their career. But what they are doing is getting the seventh or eighth seasons at a discounted rate. So the Braves are an interesting model in buying out those years of pre-arbitration and arbitration, the years that they would be under contract, and using it to their advantage by then getting a couple extra years tagged on to the end. Yeah, so I just want to clarify there. When you say that they are overpaying for the first few years, the only reason that they are overpaying is because you don't have to pay a player a ton of money when they are pre-arbitration eligible. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the team is overpaying them in terms of their value no. on the field. They're paying them when they don't have to. Right. So when you say overpaying, it's only because they didn't have to be paying them that money. However, yeah. that doesn't mean that they are not worth the money based on the production that they are currently giving you on the field. This is true. So you can look at it as, yeah, we didn't have to pay this guy for a few years, but the contract that they are under is still worth the play that they are giving you. True, but you also wouldn't, if they're if they're not getting these extra years tagged onto the end, they wouldn't be signing. There's no reason to pay somebody, like it's a business. There's yeah. no reason to pay somebody more than you have to pay them. I just year. wanted to clarify the overpaying right. because we're not saying that you are giving them too much money for what they're worth. And I would say also, I think maybe you are, are overpaying them for maybe their first year of arbitration as well, because that number tends to be pretty low right. because it's the first year that they're getting a bump. But they are getting massively, I mean, the first couple years pre-arbitration is less than a million dollars for the first year, I think. And then it's right around a million for the second two. Yeah, and with the Braves specifically, that's an interesting case because they're not just extending one of their guys pretty much everybody yeah. has been extended. Their entire young core is locked up right now outside of Dansby Swanson, who's not really a young piece of that core. They are pretty much set for the next six years, and they can just now focus on getting supplementary pieces around their superstar players. And we'll talk about Gunnar Henderson in a little bit too, but the Orioles are in kind of a similar position where you could theoretically lock down Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, and then just say, okay, we know what money we're working with for the next six or seven years. Let's figure out ways to build a competitive team that is not only going to be competitive for a year or two, but is a contender for six, seven, eight years. Yeah. When you make these kind of signings, these kinds of extensions this early in a career, you do incur risk. But I think the thinking here is you're not massively overpaying them. You're not paying them for a long, long time. You're only paying them for seven or eight years in these instances. So if it turns out poorly, if the player doesn't develop like you thought they would or they don't keep that level of production, they get hurt, it's not backbreaking. And considering you're committing 35 for Ozzy Albies, 100 for Acuna, 72 for Michael Harris, that's a good bet to, to make on all. And Spencer Strider. And Strider as well. How much was his for? Not a lot. <laughs> Not a lot of More money for I Spencer have. Strider. Yeah. And I don't think they have extended Kyle Wright yet. I don't think so. But he could be next. Yeah. I mean, because he's a fantastic young pitcher as well. And you are, again, even though you're paying these guys when they are still pre-arbitration or even arbitration eligible, you've assured yourself that your young core is here to stay. Yeah. And they are not going anywhere until they're in their, what, early 30s at this point? At which point you would probably just say, okay, we don't need to sign those guys to huge extensions. And if they're still playing really well, then you can reevaluate then. But you've locked them down for a lot of their prime years. Yes. Oh, pretty much all of their prime yeah. years, I think you could say. So that's one example of a team that has gone out and 
extended just about everybody in their young core. I want to look at the Seattle Mariners and what they did with Julio Rodriguez as well, the player who beat out Adley Rutschman for AL Rookie of the Year. So they extended him and his age 21 season in one of the most confusing contracts I've ever seen. I have about a page's worth of notes on this. I want to try to condense it and keep this as simple as possible, Brendan, without losing anybody. This deal guarantees $210 million to J-Rod, can max out at $470 million. That takes him through the age, sorry, through the 2029 season. So there's a baseline 120 that expires after the 2029 season. There's a team option that they decide upon after the 2028 season and a player option after the 2029 season. So there is built-in insurance for both the team and the player. So following the 2028 season, the Mariners can exercise their team option for an additional eight or 10 years, depending on where J-Rod finishes in the MVP voting is what determines whether it's an eight-year extension or a 10-year extension. I can see your eyes glazing over, Brendan. I'm going to try to keep you as entertained as possible. Yeah, because it makes no sense. Uh, then, if But Seattle, it's a great contract. So basically, Seattle has the first option. If they decide to turn down the player option, if Julio Rodriguez is not the player he was for his first couple years in, of his career, they can turn down the player option. Team option. Sorry, the team option. Then Julio Rodriguez will have his own player option a year later. So... If he is not performing up to his usual standards, he can say, that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and opt into my five-year, $90 million extension, which would kick in just shy of his 30th birthday. So then he would get an extra five years tacked on there. So that's five years. If he is a nothing player, if he is a below-average player for some reason, his talent just, he loses all of his ability, uh, he can still walk away with 90 mil. And the absolute baseline total is $210 million. Yeah, the contract itself <laughs> doesn't make sense. But when you just break it down in terms of essentially the team and the player both have a fail-safe. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. That's essentially what we're looking at with the contract. It is incredibly complex. Yeah. Uh, and I really don't know if I've ever seen a deal quite like this. It's fascinating. And I think it is... Look, if anybody's going to try to pull out some crazy stops... Could be Mike Elias. You know, the guy yeah. went to Yale. He's pretty smart. You never he can know. do something like this. Sigma Dell's also pretty smart. He's a rocket scientist. They could come up with something that satisfies both the player and the team in one deal holistically. Yeah. Wacky contract aside, the point of this is that Seattle is taking a little bit more of the traditional approach, which is you have one pretty clear cut superstar. You're going to extend him for as long as possible. Give yourself. 10, 13, 20-year window, however long that stupid contract is, <laughs> of saying, okay, we're going to have Julio Rodriguez for a really long time. This is our window to build a team around Julio Rodriguez, see how much we can win there. And yeah. we are seeing a lot of other teams around baseball do that with their young players as well. In the division, you've got the Rays, who extended Wander Franco. In the American League as well, you've got... Jordan Alvarez mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh. Key Brian Hayes was extended for six years in Chicago. Luis Robert extended for a while as well. You're essentially just assuring yourself that you are going to have one superstar piece to build around and try to build a competitive team. Obviously that hasn't worked out for some like the angels, but you at least give yourself that one piece to build around. And then you have the further extreme of this. And that's the Fernando Tatis Jr. Padres deal. Yeah, that's a big one. That is 14 years, $340 million. You're massively overpaying him for the first, first team years under control, under team control, and then you're adding on seven years, six, eight years to that. I know it's very early, but that deal has not gotten off to a great start. No. He has made, he got into a motorcycle accident, hurt himself, then, of course, tested positive for PED, ended up missing the entire season. I want to say that he could have, he still has, what, 13 years or so under contract left. He is still very young. He just had just turned 22 when he signed this contract, so I think he's 24 right now. We're going to turn 24 this offseason. That deal could end up looking great for the Padres because we've seen what he can do when he's healthy. But it can also turn out to be a cautionary tale. If his career is derailed by 
the suspension, by the injuries that he's incurred, that could end up looking bad. And $340 million for a guy who just turned 22 could end up looking like a bad investment. That's the risk you run. Yeah. And Fernando Tatis Jr. gave you every indication on the field that he would be worth overpaying for a while because he's a great young centerpiece, but you just never know. And that, of course, has to play into this Adley Rutschman conversation where he's a catcher. God forbid Adley Rutschman has a knee injury next year, and all of a sudden he's just not a defensive catcher, but you've overpaid him, and now you're paying a lot of money for a first-base DH who can't really catch because of an injury history. Obviously, God forbid that you happens. Hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, but it could. You just never know, and that's the risk you run giving somebody such a long contract. And we all know the Chris Davis example. Of course, that was signed much later into his his career. He had hit free agency by that point. But the point being, somebody just because they put up a certain level of production doesn't guarantee that they're going to continue that. And especially after they hit their athletic prime and start to decline. That's when it becomes a concern. So I think those three examples of the Braves signing all these short, cheap extensions, then you have in the middle ground, the Julio Rodriguez, you're tying one guy down for a contract, but you're not committing, making a massive commitment per se. You can have a fail safe to get out. And then the other extreme, which is we're tying ourselves to this guy. We're going to the altar and this is a wedding and a marriage that is going to have to last for 14 years. Right. So you have several different options to go here. Let's talk about Adley. Well, let's start with <laughs> with Adley. He is now earned a full year of service time mm-hmm. because he came in second in American League Rookie of the Year voting. So that means he will be arbitration eligible starting in 2025 and he won't become a free agent until 2028. That is still a long way away and he would become a free agent right around when he is turning 30. Yep. It is entirely possible that Adley Rutschman's prime is before he turns 30, he is playing a very demanding position, and we have not seen a ton of catchers succeed after that age 30 season. That being said, Adley Rutschman is a very special player, and we have seen very special catchers continue to succeed after that age 30 mark. But even guys like Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, their offensive production starts to drop off a little bit. I think back to a player like Joe Maurer, who was excellent for a very long time. Adley Rutschman has a case to maybe be one of the better offensive catchers since Joe Maurer, but even Joe Maurer's career didn't really hold up. So do you want to extend Adley Rutschman past that age 30 mark, or do you just let it ride to free agency and just say, we're fine with letting a 30-year-old catcher explore the market at this point? Buster Posey, Joe Maurer, Johnny Bench, three of the greatest catchers of all time. And I know that's premature to put Adley in that conversation, but this is just for a benchmark, pun intended. All three retired before their age 36 seasons. Yep. All three were very, you know, excellent peaks, but all three reached a certain point where they were a detriment because of what they put on the field. Now, I will say Adley Rutschman appears to be utilizing the one knee catcher position, which is taking up a more and more um, has gained more and more of a foothold in MLB. From what we've heard, that has the ability to extend players' careers and because it takes more pressure off the knees, I think it's a great idea. We don't know if that's going to make a massive difference. The history of catchers over the age of 30 is not great. However, it's not horrible. JT Riomuto just got MVP votes in his age 33 season, I believe. Yep, 34 season. Uh, you know, mentioned Buster Posey, mentioned Joe Maurer. Both of those guys, yes, they retired before age 36. Buster Posey was phenomenal. Remember, his swan song season was incredible. And that was in his age 35 season, I believe. Yep. It's possible that these guys can extend their careers. But those guys did get a little bit lucky, and it, they did not incur major injuries early in their careers. It's possible that Adley does have that major injury, where they didn't, and that shortens his the length of his career or the shortens the length of his productivity and his prime. I mean, look at Matt Wieters, somebody who was projected to be maybe the best catcher in the American League, and he had a series of injuries, 
he wasn't quite the player he was expected to be. I know he ended up being a four-time All-Star, but let's be honest, Matt Wieters wasn't the player that he was hyped to be because of the command, the demand of the position, because of injuries. That is still possible for someone who is as hyped and as promising as Adley. And I think the question becomes, if Adley Rutschman isn't an elite defensive catcher past that age 30 season, is he still valuable? Which I think he is. I'm going to keep using the Joe Maurer comparison. I think Joe Maurer profiles kind of similarly to what we're seeing out of Adley Rutschman right now. If Adley Rutschman continues this upward trajectory and hits his absolute ceiling, I think his absolute ceiling is a player with the impact of Joe Maurer. Maurer caught 75 games in 2013. That was his age 30 season. He caught one game after that in his career. However, that age 30 season, it was his last all-star year in 2013. But after that, he played a lot of first base. He played a lot of DH. He still had an OPS over 700 every single year after that. So that's not to say he's not still a valuable player, but if he isn't a good defensive catcher, it's not quite the same. Exactly. The other question I think you could ask is how much would he be getting in the years that he is under team control? So the first three years, he's going to be getting very little compared to what he is bringing to the table. He's going to be getting paid about a million dollars for his first couple of years before he hits arbitration. Then you have his arbitration years where he will get escalated each of those three years. The only other catcher I could think of that would be a comparison in modern times of one of the best catchers in baseball, what they bring offensively. I think we could use Real Muto as an example as how much he got so that we don't have to extrapolate what Joe Maurer got 10 years ago. Right. It's going to be a lot less. So Real Muto got $5.9 million in his first year of arbitration, then $10 million in his final two years of arbitration. So that's pretty low average annual value. He also then got a massive contract in free agency when a lot of teams were kind of shy about paying him. The Phillies may have overpaid him for that contract. Would the Orioles be overpaying Adley for his years of team control, and how much would they have to overpay in order to get years tacked on? I think it's kind of going to fluctuate. For the first few seasons, when Adley Rutschman is still pre-arbitration eligible and maybe the first year or so of arbitration eligibility, like you said, even that $10 million might be underpaying Adley Rutschman at that point, considering right. the value that he gives you on the field. And it's going to be in three years. Right. Two years. So, you know, that number is even going to go up. Then so then. that's 2025, he's arbitration eligible. And let's say three years of arbitration, you are still underpaying him. Yeah. So that's five, six years of underpaying Adley Rutschman. Yeah. But then as he becomes, as he is getting past that arbitration, as he's going towards free agency, yeah. it's entirely possible that when he is 28 or 29, He's one of the best players in baseball. And then you are severely underpaying him if you sign him to a contract. Right. So all of a sudden you'd be overpaying him more than you need to be paying him for five or six years. And then you are massively underpaying him yep. for the two or three or four years where he might be a superstar. Right. And you just got him for nothing. Yeah. When you when he would have hit free agency and signed a new deal in theory, if you right. never extended him. Like look at the Acuña example. You know, the the Braves are overpaying Acuña right now, overpaying not for his value, overpaying what they could be paying him if they decide not to extend him. But if Acuña is Acuña in 5 years when he would be hitting free agency, he could hit free agency and make an absolute jackpot. But the Braves are underpaying him for those years. They're paying him what, 15 mil a year about. So there, it's, it's a give and a take. And you have to wonder how likely it is that Rutschman hits his ceiling, that he stays at his ceiling during his entire prime, or if you could end up looking bad at the end of the contract if he falls off, which again, it's all possible. Everything is possible. It's probably not likely that he falls off and becomes you know, a shell of himself, but every option is on the table. We don't know what's going to happen in five years. I think it's important to kind of look generally at why teams are paying their young stars. You're paying them because you want a centerpiece to build around for years to come, and you are paying them early for the possibility that you could be really underpaying them 
when they are in their prime. Yeah. That's why you are buying out their years of pre-arbitration and arbitration eligibility. That being said, you're not going to get Adley Rutschman for the $9 million annual uh, average annual value that the Braves are paying Michael Harris. I also don't think you'd need to give him the roughly $19 million a year that we're seeing the Astros give Jordan Alvarez. I think there's probably a 15 to 20 million average annual value range that you would have to give Adley Rutschman for probably eight to 10 years. All right, let's get your prediction. Not your prediction, but let's say you are the Orioles. You're Mike Elias. Yeah. What are you offering? Well, if I am looking at a deal that I think would be a slam dunk and I would do that in a heartbeat, I'd say eight years, 150 million. Wow. So a team, you were saying this is team friendly. Team friendly deal, I think, is eight years, 150 million so for Adley Rutschman. You're paying him 50 million more than Ronald Acuna. But he got severely underpaid in that contract. Ronald Acuna is worth a contract bigger than eight years, 100 million. Was it because the Braves got to him so early? Maybe. Because the other question is, is, the, is now the right time? You know, if you wait on this contract offer and you try to do this again in a year, will Adley's value be higher than it is now? Probably. Probably. So eight there years, is- 150 million is 18.75 a year, roughly. Gotcha. I think once Adley Rutschman hits free agency, it's entirely possible that he could be making 30 million a year somewhere because he's hitting free agency around his age 30 season. And even if you don't believe he's going to be an amazing defensive catcher for the next four or five seasons, I could see a team giving Adley Rutschman six years, 200 something in free agency, in free agency, in five years, because it's possible that he is still a good defensive catcher for two or three years, maybe until he's 32 or 33. And we obviously don't have a huge sample size for him. But as of right now, he looks like a switch hitting on base machine. Yeah. And that doesn't look like it's going to fade. It, it doesn't look like it, but it is the, the job of Michael Elias and other front offices to determine if it will. I mean, they have to look down into the crystal ball and down the road several years. Yeah. So it's, you know, he doesn't, Chris Davis didn't look like he was going to fade. But he did. No, but power numbers can fade. But I don't know if, I mean, plate discipline doesn't fade in the same way that power does. No, but we also talked about how defensive ability can fade. Sure. And we don't know. I think teams have become gotten wise to paying catchers into their 30s. And Real Muto probably made less than he would have if he had hit the free agent market 10 years ago. Because I think teams were more willing to pay catchers later on in the career. They were more willing to pay veterans, period. Sure. Will that trend continue to the point where in five years, teams say, oh, you're 30? No thanks. I think we have to keep in mind with Adley Rutschman that once he hits free agency, it's exactly that. He is a free agent and 30 teams are going to look at Adley Rutschman and say, hey, you might be the best catcher in baseball right now. That's, there's, a, there's a possibility. There's a possibility that he is the best catcher in baseball when he hits free agency yeah. in 2029. So one other point I want to make real quickly about whether Adley's value will be higher in a year. Look at Manny Machado, who suffered a major injury in his second year. And people, when Machado was approaching free agency, Orioles fans looked back and they looked back and they said, we could have extended Manny then and gotten him much cheaper than he would cost now. And we could have gotten him under team control for several more years. They could have done that. And if Adley suffers a major injury this year, God forbid, his value could go down. But then also, put yourself in the Orioles' shoes in that instance with Machado and say, you probably weren't wanting to commit that kind of money to somebody who was coming off a major lower body injury. Sure. So... The Orioles were hesitant to extend him at that point because there is some risk when somebody has that kind of injury. So it's possible that Adley has an all-star season, six more war this year, and his value goes up. It's also possible he suffers a major injury, misses time, his value goes down. And then the Orioles have to debate, boy, do we want to extend this guy who has a serious injury history or, you know, when we can get him cheaper or should we just let this play out? I'm more than willing to take that risk with Adley Rutschman right now. Because there is a, I don't think it's a huge 
possibility, considering a lot of things can happen in the next five or so years. But I think it's entirely possible that we see a scenario where Adley Rutschman is fantastic and he is everything that he has been hyped up to be. And then he hits free agency in 2028. He is the best catcher in baseball at that point. Teams get into a bidding war, not only because of how good he is, but because of how important it is to have a good catcher. We've talked about it before on previous podcasts where there are just not a lot of good catchers in baseball. Yeah, We saw how much money JT Real Muto got from the Phillies. That's a good example. You had to overpay for him, not only because he's a good player, but because there are so few good catchers in baseball. The drop-off for the Phillies between Real Muto and the field would have been massive. Exactly. So let's see that scenario where Adley Rutschman is the best catcher in 2028. He hits free agency. There is a bidding war. All of a sudden, he goes for six years, $200 million. And then the Orioles just lost Adley Rutschman in his prime. The year is 2028. Cars are f- now flying. Adley Rutschman has accepted his seventh MVP award. Tw- Twitter has burned down and Mastodon has taken its place. Yeah. And Adley Rutschman is about to make <laughs> 300 mil. But you can't have that scenario. No. You just can't. You can't let Adley Rutschman hit free agency in his age 30 season as the best catcher in baseball and lose him in a bidding war. See, that's the thing. I think anytime you put absolute, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Anytime you put absolutes on this kind of thing, I think that's when you get into trouble. Right. I'm just saying that that's the scenario that is, you just can't have happen. I think, but I think you can. Like, I think in theory you can. Because I think, look at the Chris Dave, the mistakes that were made in the Chris Davis conversation. It was somebody put themselves in a position where he said, this guy's a fan favorite. This guy is an incredible offensive player. We can't let him leave. Sure. You're tying yourself to... You You have to have a price point where you can walk away. You have to have... But you signed Chris Davis later on in his career than Adam No, it's, it's a different situation. Yeah. I just think it's it's dangerous anytime you put yourself in a position where you say, we do anything to have this guy here. Sure. Because ultimately, players... You know, a player of Adley Rutschman's caliber can't really be replaced... But in theory, there has to be an endpoint, and there has to be a, a time where you can walk away. So in my scenario, I try to give him eight years, $150 million. Mm-hmm. That takes him to about his age 33 season, where it's entirely possible that he could still be a very good player in his age 33, 34 season. Yeah. But that takes him through his prime years, and you have guaranteed yourself a centerpiece for years to come in Baltimore. I, I would agree. I think eight years is a nice middle point between player and team. And I think it may not take $150 million. I think it could take a little bit less than that. I, I could say eight years, 130 But I have no idea. I'm not in that room. And I think it's hi- entirely possible that the Orioles are trying would be trying to do a Julio Rodriguez-esque yeah. a contract where they draw up something with a team option and a player option. And obviously we've simplified it. And I'm sure if Adley yes. Rutschman got a contract extension there would probably be a team option after four years, maybe a player option after five. Yes. There would be a lot more intricacies to it. But I think the eight-year length probably makes the most sense given the fact that he is a catcher and catchers don't have a ton of longevity. And even if in the final two or three years of his career, he's a first-base DH hybrid type of player, I could still foresee him being just a switch-hitting on-base percentage machine because that's what he has shown so far there's much more of a roadmap for it's much easier to predict how a free agent how much a free agent would sign for now than it is to predict an extension right because you don't know what the team is looking for what the players looking for what they're projecting him to be what they project the market to be you're looking so far down the road whereas it's much easier to say this guy right now if he were a free agent is worth x for x years it's much easier to look at that because there just really isn't as much history and as as many comparisons to make with extensions. One other guy we should talk about, Gunnar Henderson, three years younger than Adley Rutschman, plays a premier defensive position, projected to shortstop, may play more third base, may play a little second base next year, but can, in theory, play shortstop. Is he worth looking into for an extension right now? Yes, I think the bigger question is, is he worth like Wander Franco money? Because that's probably the money that you would have to give him. And the massive elephant in the room with Gunnar Henderson is that he is represented by Scott Boris. Yes. Scott Boris, don't know if you guys have heard, 
likes his players to get to free agency. Hates extensions. Obviously, that has been the big point of discussion with a player like Juan Soto. He is young. He is in the prime of his career, which seems to be every single year. And a team would obviously love to extend Juan Soto to a 12, 13, 15-year deal if they could. But Scott Boris doesn't want that to happen. Because Scott Boris is looking for the highest upside. Right. And the highest upside is he reaches free agency and he gets paid a ton. And he gets paid a billion dollars. And it's, it's like Chris Davis. I mean, Chris Davis hit free agency and made the absolute most he could have. If a player hits it is kept under team control for more years than they have to be, you see the Acuna-type deals where they get massively underpaid, and that doesn't do well for setting the market and, and creating these trends. But because Gunnar Henderson has already debuted at 21 years old, he is going to hit free agency in 2029, which is on the right side of 30 for him. This is a Carlos Correa type of he's hitting free agency at 28, 29 years old, still in the prime of his career, and he is going to get a bonkers contract. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers money if he hits free agency. And you would have to give him bonkers money right now if you tried to extend him early. Yeah. So the the difference, so many differences between Adley and Gunner. Yes, there are some similarities on the surface level. They play premier defensive positions, both the number one prospect, according to some outlets at one point. But the, ma- the major differences are just the security that Adley brings. Adley has had so much hype of being not just a great player, but an incredibly hard worker, an incredible teammate at Oregon State, um, checked every box, was great for three years in college, and then um, was great in a couple years in the minors. Gunnar Henderson has been great every time we've seen him on the field. We don't have that large of a sample size for Gunnar Henderson. Right. Didn't play college ball, had really only a year and a half worth of minor league stats for us to even look at because he of 2020, everybody missing, because he just got called up when he's 21-22. And we have heard all good things about his work ethic, about his love of the game, about his ability as a teammate, but we just don't have as much information. And when you're extending somebody who is that young and you're handing this guy this amount of money, like Tatis, you know, I don't think he's going to, he's worth Tatis money right now, but look, Adley Rutschman was one of the top prospects. He was the number one pick in the draft and a slam dunk number one pick. Then he was the number one prospect in baseball for a long time. Gunnar Henderson was a second round pick. He was coming out of high school. There were major questions. He answered them and he rose to the number one prospect status, but he hasn't been there as long. And there's just a lot less information about Gunnar Henderson than there is about Adley Rutschman. And the Orioles have a ton of shortstops. That too. I'm not going to say that Gunnar Henderson is easily replaceable. He is not. But let's say you give Gunnar Henderson a 10, 12, 13-year extension. (laughs) Then all of a sudden... I'm going to be ancient. You have Jordan Westberg and Jackson Holiday and Joey Ortiz... Maybe they turn into something at the big league level over the next two or three years. Yeah, Daryl Hernandez. who knows? There are a ton of shortstops in the Orioles' farm system. The Orioles have proven themselves to be very good at drafting over the last few seasons. Maybe they draft another shortstop in two or three years in the second round that all of a sudden turns into one of the better prospects in all of baseball. Do you want to give Gunnar Henderson the money that he would need to yeah. be getting right now? I think... Honestly, I think Boris changes this whole conversation. He does. Because if Gunnar Henderson is with another agent, you would probably be talking about giving him a similar contract to what you would need to give Adley Rutschman, where it's maybe eight years, 150, 175 million. With Boris, maybe you're looking at the guess that I made, it, not even a joke, as the extension that you might have to offer Gunnar Henderson. 13 years... $275 million. I don't even think that's that far off of what you would have to give him right now. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I mean, say. you might have to go 300 The thing is, is is his value as high as it is ever going to be? I mean, he's the number one prospect in baseball. It could be. He had a really good stretch of baseball in the big leagues. He is still 21, 22 years old. But then what if he turns into a top three shortstop in baseball and he's 24 years old? Right. 
But also, look at Ronda Franco struggled. Yeah. He was looking like an absolute superstar, and he struggled this past year with the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, Ronda Franco was kind of seen as the best shortstop prospect. The future in, of the position. The best shortstop prospect in a decade? Yeah. And Carlos Pena had a much better season. Jeremy Pena. Or sorry, Jeremy Pena. Not Carlos Pena. <laughs> Not Rays legend, <laughs> Carlos, Carlos Pena. I, I had the Rays on my mind. Yeah. Um, so it's just very difficult to look that far down the road. I also keep thinking of Steve Molesky's interview with Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline, where he said he would be very surprised if Jackson Holiday wasn't a superstar. I mean, do we extend Jackson I mean, Holiday? Here's the thing. You know who Jackson Holiday is represented by? Don't say it. Scott Boris. Ah, we saw him at Camden Yards. I know. So the question is, and again, Jackson Holiday is 18. Kid just went to prom. He is a ways away from being a big leaguer. Gunnar Henderson is a big leaguer right now. But also, Gunnar Henderson has not been a big leaguer for very long. Right. And you just don't know how sustainable what he is putting forth right now is. And again, we we don't see any holes in his game right now. But we don't see holes in guys' games this early in their career very often. You know? And it, there could be some hole that uh, pitchers are waiting to exploit. And once you give them an entire offseason, they will exploit it. We haven't seen him play big league shortstop very much. Yes, he looked good, but there's a chance that he is not entirely as polished as maybe he was projected to be. It's really hard to say. Yeah. Because if you want to wait and say, let's give Gunnar Henderson another year to prove himself, what if he turns into just a star yeah. next year? And then you're just... And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, do we give him $600 million? I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do you do at that point if Gunnar Henderson is just a superstar next season? I think there's a case to be made to try to extend him this offseason because his future play is unknown. You might be able to get him for a smaller dollar amount. I don't think it's going to happen. No. I don't think there is a scenario where Scott Boris lets Gunnar Henderson sign for anything less than $300 million right now. Well, he's still a mystery box, and a mystery box can be as good as you want him to be. Could be a boat. Could be a boat. Could even be a boat. Like, that's the thing is he really could be teams are looking at him and dreaming on him and saying this guy could be the future of the shortstop position. So his value, in theory, I think is really high. You just never know. I mean, what if the Dodgers gave Cody Bellinger 10 years after his 2019 MVP season? When he was, what, 24 years old at yep. that point? Yep. So, and you could, every team and every pundit would have lauded that move. Yeah. They would have said, you have locked up an MVP for the next Eight years. They could have given him a 12-year deal, yep. and now he is non-tendered three years later. Yeah. It's all possible. And yep. we were looking at Cody Bellinger then and saying there are no holes in his game. He's fast. He's great in the outfield. He can play first base. He's got an amazingly powerful swing for being a lean guy. And then he got exposed. That's still on the table. That's how you go full circle in a podcast. It is. Any other guys, though, we should say, that you could think of on this team that you think were worthy of at least having a conversation about an extension with? I think there's a conversation to be had about Grayson Rodriguez. However, I think you need to see him pitch in the major leagues at least a little bit. I agree. I love Grayson Rodriguez. I think if we had seen him play three quarters of a season last year, he'd be in this conversation with Adley and Gunner 100%. But you need to see him pitch at least a little. Yeah. And then I think next offseason, we have the conversation about Grayson Rodriguez. Cedric Mullins is the other one that I think you have the conversation about. Yeah. It's not going to be a big deal. It's not going to be a Gunnar Henderson or Adley Rutschman. But maybe you want to extend Cedric Mullins for three years? Four years? Yeah. He's entering his age 28 season. He's a great piece. I know you have solid outfield prospects and a lot of guys coming up. But I would love to give Cedric Mullins three years... 45 million? It, it's going to come down to how confident you are in Colton Kowser and yeah. the field and the other outfield prospects that you have. A uh, Heston Kerstad, maybe. I know Kerstad can't play center, but how good do you feel about who you have? And you know what Mullins is going to give you. If this last year was his baseline, that's pretty darn good. Three, three and a half war. Yeah. He's a very good player. And the Orioles are massively underpaying him right now because this is his first year of arbitration eligibility, giving him a projected $4.4 million. But also, do you really want to pay a center fielder into his mid-30s? If there is a deal on the table right now, it, let's say you're the front office and Cedric Mullins wants to sign 
a four-year, $40 million extension. So four years buying out his next three, you're really only extended because he's under contract for three more years. That's 2023, 24, and 25. Yeah. Let's say right now, five years. That gives you two years on the back end. Five years, let's say five years, 45 million. I probably have to think about it a lot. And I probably, I mean, 45 million is pretty darn cheap. I would probably say no right now because of the possibility that he could lose some speed and athleticism when he hits 30. Sure. And we see a lot of center fielders hit that age. They have to move to a corner spot. And if he's moving to a corner spot, is he really as valuable in your lineup? And I also want to see Colton Kowser play. Sure. Let's be honest. I want to see if that guy is who he's projected to be. I think there's a very strong possibility that he is legit. I probably wait on Cedric Mullins right now. Yeah. I give him another year or two as our TV turns off behind us. This is how we know we've gone on for too long. Yes, it really is. I, I think if there's a four for 40 on the table, I take it. I think so, because then you're only getting an extra year. Right. All right. We I, think that, I think that's just about everybody. Mal Castle, first baseman. Haven't seen enough. Yeah, and I, I think that he hasn't been good enough offensively to the point where you say... Yeah, haven't seen enough good play. Yeah, he is going to be head and shoulders above every other first baseman. Yep. You know? Uh, wow. I think that was a long podcast. I think it was, too. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, <laughs> at Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Of course, you can catch the podcast every Wednesday at 11. Please give us a rate of five stars, a review, if you so choose. All of the positive reinforcement. At we, least four stars. We could yeah. Hopefully five, but if it's a four stars, that, yeah, that's at least something. It's something, but it's better. Rather, you know, maybe just keep it. Maybe keep just it keep it five. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, if it's not nice, don't say it. Yeah. No, sure. we'll, we'll take it. Yeah, uh, we'll <laughs> thanks so much uh, to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. We, we will be back next week as we uh, prepare for baseball's winter meetings. Woo. Brendan, exciting times. Thanks right. so, so much for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>